Welcome to Anchored and Devoted with Pastors Dave and no, sorry. <laughs> You're Pastor Dave. Just keep it going. Keep, he's keep Pastor it going. Dave. <laughs> no, the reality is, is I'm Pastor Dave and he's Pastor Jeremy. And I'm Jeremy. Pastor Jeremy. <laughs> and sometimes I forget that, but it's okay. God doesn't forget. When we go out to eat, people do confuse us. If you've never met us, uh, we do not look alike. Um, I'm a large African-American male. Um, you know, played football in college. And my brother... I'm not. I'm not either of those. He, he, is, he is the polar opposite. And we both love Jesus uh, to the point where none of that matters. Um, <laughs> we, we love each other because we know we got eternity together. So welcome to our foolishness. And our silliness as we try to encourage you and all believers um, to walk diligently in Christ. And today's topic is, Jer? Satan. We're going to talk about the living man himself. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Yeah. And we're going to have some fun with this. We're going to have some fun with this. I went for my run this morning and I was thinking about like how we should start. And all I could think about was the Kevin Spacey movie, which I'm not going to name because I don't want you to go watch it, um, <laughs> <laughs> where he talks about how, or everyone talks about him as being um, the boogeyman and how, yeah. you know, the best trick ever played is to get you to believe he doesn't exist. And uh, I know we talked about that earlier when we uh, were wrestling with this topic, is that how bad it is when you do pull back the covers in your own walk. Yep. Um, you begin to uh, recognize the the impact of Satan on the world and in the lives of others, how things get tougher. Um, like you, you've raised a, uh, a flag that pretty much says, aim at me. And um, we're okay with that, with the understanding that the war has already been won. Uh, we do have battles to go after, but the war has been won through uh, the blood of Christ. So we are not ashamed or afraid to wrestle with this topic. So where do you want to start, Jer? Well, I mean, where you just, where you just were, I think is a great place to come off from. Um, the, the, du- the dual danger w- in the Christian life when we talk about Satan is that either we minimize him or we overemphasize his power, his work, um, and his, his participation in what's going on. You know, you have everything from the devil made me do it. If, if my car radio won't pick up the station I'm trying to listen to, it's the <laughs> devil at work. Two, the other extreme where it doesn't matter what's going on. I know that maybe, you know, there's a God. I can acknowledge that. I can even say, yes, there's a devil. But in my everyday life, I don't actually have any concept of spiritual warfare, uh, mm-hmm. that there's a real enemy out here who is trying to uh, impact the world. And both of those play to the devil's advantage. He wants to deceive. Uh, the first thing that we need to know about Satan is that he is a liar. Mm-hmm. Um, in, uh, I believe it's in Matthew 7, I think, when Jesus is talking about, he's talking to the Pharisees, he talks to them and he says, you're murderers, just as your father was a murderer, mm-hmm. and you're deceivers, because he is a deceiver and he's the father of all lies. And the the idea uh, behind the, the word Satan, the name, means deceiver. Yeah, that was the John one 844. John 844, thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, his, this is where I want to start. Everything Satan is doing is for the purpose of deception. And it doesn't matter what lie it is that you or I or whomever might be buying into, his purpose is to 
put something in front of us and say, mm-hmm. this is the real thing so that we do not look at God. Mm-hmm. That's it. If, if I can encapsulate the work of Satan in a word, that's what it is. Look at this because this is real. Don't look at God. That's his goal every time. And so every, everywhere you see deception going on, know that Satan is behind that. And it doesn't matter if the deception is a, an exaggeration of the good or a belittling of the bad. If there's deception there, Satan is behind it. But the second thing is this. Nothing that Satan does. In fact, let me, let me take a step back from that and make okay. this even more, more okay. serious. Satan is not in at war against God the way that, say, the Soviet Union was at war against the U.S. back mm-hmm. in the Cold War. Mm-hmm. These are not two rival equal powers. That's right. God and Satan, classically, we can look at a lot of uh, medieval theology, and we can look at uh, where current theology is, and, and not specifically in the academy, but certainly in uh, common parlance, and we look and say, well, God and Satan are kind of these these co-equal forces arrayed against each other. And there's this constant pulling back and forth, this tug of war between God and Satan. And that is simply not true. That is one of the deceptions that Satan has put out there to try to magnify himself and get us to stop looking at God. Because when we look at Job, specifically at Job 1 and 3, what we see here is nothing Satan does, even as an enemy of God, is done without God's permission that's it and that's hard like just be that is really hard let's pause right there for the new believer the old believer to understand that god is in control you know james makes it clear he's not the tempter so he's not setting you up to fail um he will make it so that you need to go to him as a good shepherd and father should you know he will encourage you and he's allowing satan to work on you so that you understand your need better, more deeply for him. We talk about the Holy Spirit and how you you can't really be comforted unless you go through struggle, but you also can't grow unless you go through struggle. And we talked about that before. God knew when he created this beautiful angel that he would turn to Satan. Like this wasn't a surprise to God. This wasn't one of those things that was an unknown. And just as Jared was sharing, this isn't equal. This isn't equal at all. This is my son who's six, 50 some, almost 60 pounds, battling me who is a lot bigger than him, a lot exactly. smarter than him, who has seen a lot more. So it's it's not equal but, at all. Who, whose interest is for your son, even Correct. if your son's interest is against you. Correct. Correct. So it's, it's one of those things where we as believers have to understand. Um, the lying that takes place is one where we have to avoid it at all costs. The reality for us is that how do you avoid that when he does such a good job? I mean, this is this is real life. When um, I think of the movie that was The Greatest Showman, is that the name of the movie with the dude jumping around in the circus or whatever? Um, uh, I'm pretty sure it was, the, I'll probably get in trouble for saying his name. But anyway, um, it's about the circus and this dude who is a showman. Um, it, it's a circus. They roll into town, they set up, um, they present uh, lions and tigers and other things and bears that have been conditioned Lion. to be around people and people who aren't used to seeing this thing, 
you know, are afraid and think there's a lot of danger when they don't see all the practice that has taken place, all the stuff behind the scenes. Yeah. And the same is true with Satan. It is a show. It's not real. There's no depth to it. But often um, for the consumer mind, uh, that sugar high that occurs um, is what drives us to want more. Um, it's not the, the meal that's going to feed your soul. It is um, the thing that will taste good in the moment. Um, and so know that as you walk in this journey, um, one of the ways, at least for me, to combat this is to not do this battle alone, not to be alone. Because um, one of the things about a lie is if you look at it head on, it's often hard to see. But if you look at it from the side or at least have a couple other people looking at it with you, you can yeah. pick it out pretty quick, pretty clearly. Right. Um, yeah. but if you're doing it by yourself and the image is always moving, so it's facing you, it's very hard. Where two or three are gathered together and Jesus is there, it, it, it's hard for the lie to persist because you then can ask real questions that show the depth of what is being presented. And, and that's not what Satan's about. I mean, that's not his desire. His desire is not to go deep with you. It's to get you on his team and to keep you entertained. It's not for you to grow stronger and wiser in the truth of who God is. Yeah, this is what uh, Paul Bunyan was uh, was describing when you, when you wrote about the city of Vanity Fair, where if you're on the road to God, and even if you are sort of nominally on the road to God, um, distraction is his best technique for keeping you from progressing. There's there's so many distractions that are around us every day that call to us, that tantalize us, um, that's, that that promise to satiate us. Uh, and, and of course, I'm thinking now back to the Garden of Eden where he looked at the fruit and she saw that it was good for food. It was pleasing to the eyes. It was good to make one wise. These are all the allurements that are around us that mm -hmm. distract us from, from what we are to be focused on, which is following God, following what he's called us to do and staying tight into that relationship. And Satan's goal is always to subvert from that, either by deception, trickery, or, or hostility. And, and his, his greatest, um, I don't want to say, his greatest tool is fear. You, you see this when you look at Peter talking about the, the devil, and he says mm -hmm. the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Yep. And there's a really good illustration in this and that if you see a lion roaring you need to be looking not at that lion but around you for the other lions that are in the grass ready to pounce on you because that roaring lion is designed is, is there roaring for one reason it's to cause you to run to scatter because once you scatter you're no longer safe you're no right. longer in the herd you're supposed to be in you're no longer you no longer have the protection of the people around you who are there to to build in that safety from the enemy but Peter says, the devil's prowling around. And, and if, you, if you compare Job 1 and Peter, 1 Peter 2, side by side, what you see is it is a very similar picture. You've got the sons of God back in Job presenting themselves to God, and Satan comes and joins with them, and God says, where have you been? And he says, I've been going to and fro across the earth, just as the devil is 
prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. The devil's going around in Job, around the earth to and fro, looking for people that he can say, look, this person's not doing what God said they ought to be doing. God, you're failing, is essentially what, what Satan is putting forward there. And Peter then says to his readers, resist the devil, therefore, and submit yourself to God. Because, he goes on to say, and know that the suffering that you're experiencing is being suffered by all believers around the world. This ties us right back into Job, because what we see in Job is that as, the, as Satan's going around, and God says to Satan, you can go ahead and um, you've challenged me. You said that the only reason Job is worshiping me is because I, I've put this hedge around him. I'm protecting him. Well, you're saying if I don't do that, then he's going to curse me. He's going to leave me. I'm going to let you do that. I'm going to let you mess with his life now, and we'll see who's right. Satan was looking for someone to devour there, and God said, okay. The way that we're going to work this out now is Job is going to suffer. And if Job went through that suffering for only the purpose of having this book in the Old Testament that makes very little sense out of context, it would be extremely vindictive towards the goodness of God. But the fact of the matter is that the story is there to show us how the world is working because we have fallen into sin. And the way it's working is suffering goes on to bring about glory to God. And suffering goes on so that the name of God might be lifted up. And as believers, that should be our expectation. As we see the suffering, there's, there's one of two things we can do. We can either become fearful and say, well, God has abandoned me and God has forgotten me, or God is fickle and capricious and doesn't care, or he's not strong enough. We can either look away from God or we can look to God. And if we look towards God, what we are, in fact, doing is resisting the temptation of Satan to say, no, you need to be afraid. God's forgotten you. He's not doing what's good for you. He's making you hurt, and that's really bad. That's not loving. A loving person doesn't allow someone else to hurt. We have to resist that and look back to God and say, no, we already know this. Satan is, this is what he does. He comes and, and tells us these things, which in the moment seem really true. And if I'm by myself, and this is the only thing I'm hearing, it makes perfect sense mm -hmm. until I step back and I'm surrounded by my brothers in Christ. And I'm reminded we are all suffering. And God has called us to Christ through suffering. And God has not abandoned us in the suffering. And in fact, God is at work through the suffering for our good that we might know him more deeply. Yeah, to have a full life. I mean, John 10, 10 states, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. Um, Jesus, I have come that they may have life and have it, you know, to the fullest, um, that it might be overflowing. And that life is one that is filled with relationship with him and with those that are following him. This journey of following, of being a disciple is not a singular one as many um, Western you know, individuals and church leadership would have you believe. This is very much a familial 
a um, uh, militaristic in the sense that you are part of a larger battalion. Yes, you're in a squad. Yes, you're in a community that has its identity in doing battle. And that battle is part of what we do to defend ourselves against Satan. That battle is one where we put on the full armor of God, seen in Ephesians 6.11, um, so that we can fight the devil's schemes. If we don't engage with the God-given armor, we're running around with a lion <laughs> who's looking to destroy us. Like that, that makes no sense. Um, yeah. When, when you think of the armor of God, Jer, what is the, the part that you most identify with? Uh, it, so you're going to make me commit a, a, what? something I don't like to do here, which is to pull something apart that is a, <laughs> I don't want to pull it apart because it's not, it's not a separate thing. It is the armor of God. Okay, like go for it then. The fruit okay. of the spirit, not the fruits okay. of the spirit. Oh, okay, but okay, okay. To answer, to answer your question, though, to answer your question, <laughs> primary, primary to me, okay, mm -hmm. is the placement and the ideas that go with it. So the helmet of salvation. Okay is a reminder to me that my in my mind it's protecting my eyes it's protecting my ears it's protecting my mouth and it's protecting my mind and those have all been saved that's what's protecting my mind that's what's protecting me from what i'm seeing and what i'm hearing it's now being filtered through the prism of or through the reality of salvation uh, i'll go ahead and out myself here a little bit i'm a person who likes tobacco ever so often and a hookah the way it works very nicely if you're using it well is it's filtering smoke through some kind of liquid and mm -hmm. as it does so it purifies uh, the smoke that you're getting and to give you much more refined substance salvation as a reality that what i'm seeing and thinking is filtered through does the same thing it filters all those things so that what i what i end up with is a refined and a more pure reality and perspective on the world. But the second one is the breastplate of righteousness because this, the greatest struggle that I have, and, and this may be me personally, this may be uh, more generally applicable, is I see my sin. I see where I failed day after day. Mm. And my failures are the constant reminder that i'm i'm not good enough i'm i'm not making it i'm not acceptable and either the righteousness of christ has been gifted to me through salvation or i'm still trying to work my own righteousness and i'm go either going to lie to myself and tell myself i'm doing a good job or I'm going to fall into despair, realizing that I could never be righteous. It's that breastplate of Christ's righteousness which protects me in my heart, where I know I'm making decisions about what to do. I'm saying, wait a second, what I want right now doesn't comport with what God has told me I should be doing. But my life has already been stamped with righteousness. And so these two things, as they work together, are kind of the, the first and second gates of defense, if you will, for me, mm. against spiritual attack. Because it's first starting with what has God done? What is my state? My state is I am saved. 
Now, what is the reality of who I am? I am righteous. I've been declared righteous. I've been set free to be a slave of righteousness. Now I am free to walk in obedience to righteousness. Therefore, when the attack comes, when the spiritual battle is engaged with, these are the, the right and left feet that I'm standing on saying, uh, yes, it's, it's going to get hard, but I can stand firm right now because these things have been settled. Mm. And then I'm going to move on to, it's going to be the belt of truth. It's going to be the, the, the shield of faith and the sword of the spirit. And, and I'll be honest, the one that I most often forget is that my feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Because that's, that's the movement that we're doing. He tells us to stand, but the one thing that we have for moving is the gospel of peace that is our mission on this life. Everything else that we have there is a defensive tool, with the exception of the, the sword of the spirit. But even that in Roman uh, armament was more of a defensive than an offensive weapon. The shoes are the only ones that we have for movement. And if I engage in this spiritual warfare, forgetting that what I'm here to do is to be spreading the gospel, th there's such a, a loss in my purpose at that point, that I could argue um, that the battle's already been surrendered. So our purpose here is not just to withstand the enemy. Our purpose here is to proclaim the goodness of God and to be entering into places with the gospel to rescue those who are perishing. That's the power of the gospel. And all this works, it, it's, they're all joined together and what I'm called to do, and that's the reason that it's fought against. And so I, I zoom out here, and I'll, I'll pass this to you as a question. We've been talking, I've been talking on the personal, individual level. Where do you see this on the, uh, the national or even the global or the, the corporate level? How do you understand, when you think about spiritual warfare and the work mm -hmm. of Satan, how does that affect the way that you walk out in these larger group relationships that we're all engaged in? Right. Well, um, the shield of faith is one where um, I often think of um, a line of soldiers. And um, in many countries, when you see their shields brought out, uh, it makes one line. Yeah. Um, so it, it clearly, this isn't something for comfort or for protection solely of self. This is for the community of, you know, siblings uh, defending one another. And that, uh, to me, uh, the shield of faith is one where um, we are united in one faith. We have mm -hmm. um, our faith in Christ, the same Father, the same Spirit. That oneness is one that should cause us to um, work together to defend one another, as well as to move forward, because that's often what you see with that shield line is that it's there to advance, um, whether it's protecting archers or, you know, those carrying armaments. It's, it's one of those things where it moves forward and it's claiming land. Um, and I think that's what we are called to do as siblings in Christ is to think of the other more highly than ourselves and in doing so, make it so that we claim land. So this isn't simply making sure that my neighbor is comfortable. 
but that we're moving forward as followers of Christ, uh, mm -hmm. that we are um, challenging the darkness. I'd also say that... Uh, um, I'll pause there for a second, because you said making sure that we're challenging the darkness, but you also said, essentially, challenging the darkness together means that we're, in fact, challenging each other mm -hmm. to be walking in this battle, to be engaged in the battle together, Correct. side by side, which, which is often, you know, that takes a rousing. If you watch any horror films, one of the things that you will see right off the bat is that not every soldier is at the same willing level to fight when the battle starts. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of people who are afraid. There are a lot of people who are tired. And there are a few who rouse each other, who rouse the rest to say, come on, let's get in this. And it is because of them that the group cohesion often moves forward so that the battle can be engaged with and ultimately be successful. That's true. And we're all called to do it. This isn't a um, thing where I need the gift of leadership. Um, this is um, a dependence upon God as we lean on one another. Um, and as you stated, there will be um, bursts of energy, um, engagement with the spirit that unites us all. But then there'll be other times where we pull one another and push one another and challenge one another so that we stay focused, um, that we stay on yeah the mission that God has called us to. But I, I know that when it comes to, um, to Satan, um, he doesn't want the gospel going forward. Like that is um, his main goal is to, again, keep people on his side and there's only two sides. It's God's and his. And his goal is to distract, to maim, to separate, as you stated, um, to have people um, be so self-centered um, that they don't realize that they are lost, dying, and confused. Um, we uh, know that you, as the listener, you as a sibling in Christ, have the ability, um, because you have the sword of the Spirit, because you have the Spirit within you, um, uh, to address uh, the issues um, of fear. Um, yeah. you, ha you are an ambassador. We are, you know, according, um, <clears throat> excuse me, to Ephesians 6, we are chained together as, um, as ambassadors uh, to make sure fearlessly um, to declare the truth. And that, that is what's, what Satan doesn't like. Um, yeah. He doesn't like for truth to be out there. He wants it to be relative. He wants it to be my truth as opposed to real truth, which stands by itself. It yes. has depth. It yeah. has, you know, height and weight and substance. The tr when it comes to true relationship, that's hard. When it comes to living in truth as a person, that's hard. When it comes to engaging with truth, it's uncomfortable because it doesn't allow for you to have things your way. This isn't a Burger King God. <laughs> that, that's, not what he, that's not what we have. We have an omnipotent, holy, um, loving, just, uh, amazing God who desires relationship with you. And that is what Satan doesn't want. And that's even in the garden, what he was trying to break right, right. at the beginning. So I want to I ask you about that specifically. Can you type 
together for us. And the question here is, how do we respond to Satan when, when the lies are coming? What's our pattern in scripture corresponding to this kind of attack? And can you tie together Genesis 2, mm -hmm. 3 with Matthew 4? Mm -hmm. So the first thing we need to do is um, not think that we can figure it out, <laughs> especially <laughs> when we're in a group of people that are deceived together. Um, you know, a group of new believers or a group of older believers that we just haven't been spending enough time with God. Uh, we see in Genesis that they spent time with God, like actual face-to-face -face time with God and still were yeah. deceived um, because they believed they could wisely discern what the truth was. Um, we, we don't have that ability. Right. Um, we, we need to go to the one who holds all truth. We need to go to God. And that um, was the biggest error we see in the, the opening of Genesis that Adam and Eve didn't say, hey, you know, we have a one-on-one -on -one with God every day. Let's just wait and talk to him. Right. <laughs> they right. didn't yeah, that. Satan's question was, did God really say? And they could have just said, well, you know, give me 15 minutes, I'll ask him. Exactly. Like it's lunchtime. He'll be here around dinner time. Let's just wait. And we yeah. can all laugh together. <laughs> God, Satan has a question for you. <laughs> this weird walking snake has a question for you. Did you really exactly. say that? He really said <laughs> but but that like a family circus cartoon right there well it, it, it's one of those things where it's sad um that it's true that the story could have been so different and yet we all no. bear the weight of this free will wrestling with am i going to humble myself and go before god so the first thing is being humble and understanding to get to truth i need to get to god like without God, okay. I can't really get the truth. So don't don't assume that if I get enough information, I have truth because you aren't seeing it in light of eternity. You aren't seeing it in light of the generations to come. You aren't seeing it as to what God is doing. You're only seeing it in that moment. Whereas God can make it clear by giving you a better understanding when you go to him. He is dynamic. So know that he can speak to you through his will as well as through his word the, the bible as well as through the spirit and mm -hmm. and those are places we need to go to engage we need to spend time in the word looking for what god is saying not just reading haphazardly right. but looking to engage in a relationship so so let's say i've been doing that let's say that maybe i've been going on a fast for maybe 40 days and i've mm -hmm. been feasting on god's word mm -hmm. and all of a sudden, I start getting these thoughts that, that are, you know, they seem like they're right, but yeah. something in me is saying they're not true. And maybe let's go a step further and say that I am actually the way, the truth, and the life. <laughs> How do I respond to this? Do I simply stand in the truth and declare what's true? How do I respond? And how did, how did Adam and Eve mess this up? I, I about to say, we see what Jesus did when uh, Satan came before him, um, you know, before... Um, he's dealing with these trials. He's had this time of fasting and now he's in the wilderness talking to Satan and Satan is showing him the world. If you will just bow down, um, I will give you your heart's desire. Um, and Jesus responded with truth. Um, he didn't do a chapter and verse. He just said, you know, it is said and shared the truth. And I believe it was not just to rebuke Satan, but also for himself. Um, 
you know, there is a need to say this out loud, um, to understand that, you know, the fallen angels, and we haven't even gotten to them, that work with Satan, know who God is and know who Jesus is and know the yeah. word. So they right. understand the truth behind it, even when we forget that there's power in words. Um, and so we need to speak the truth as well as take it in, but in rebuking those things that are not truthful, we have to understand that it isn't based off of how we feel about it, right? It's based off what is, um, what is in God's word. And I would, I would even take a step further than that. Yeah, it's there. It's not even just what is, because Jesus could have said, no, that's wrong. The tr- Correct. truth is X. But what Jesus, what, he, he made an argument to authority. And then you get, if Satan is about deception, then the thing that needs to topple is truth, pretty of truth. Satan's against that. So in our society, there's this big pushback against making an authority that says, no, that's wrong because so-and-so has said. But that's exactly what Jesus did here. He went back and said, no, God has said X. Which takes us back to Genesis 3, where Satan's question was, his challenge was, did God really say? Jesus answered as the corrective to what was going on in Genesis as the one who's redeeming that by saying, yes, God really did say. This is what God said, therefore this is what I'm going to do. And as believers, we have been called to recognize that because Satan is the father of lies, the only way for us to engage successfully against those lies is by arguing and stating, no, God has said, because God is true, I can always answer whatever the deception is, whatever the attack is by saying, no, God has said, because God is true and God is righteous. God does not lie. Therefore, when I point back to his authority and I start telling you what God has already said, I am bringing a truth hammer to nail away this deception fleet. And that's what Jesus did. Even being the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus himself embodying all of this as the perfect God Father. He said, no, I am standing on someone else's authority when I say this. So if you want to argue with me, please know that I'm happy to step out of the way. I'll get my boss. You can speak to my manager. That is, um, that, that should be instructive to us as believers, especially as we're engaging with multiple deceptions around us. We, we mm-hmm. don't, the truth doesn't reside in me intrinsically because of who I am. And no one should listen to me because I'm saying something that is true unless I've cited my source. But the question should be, what's your source? Even, even as the deception is coming, what's your source? Okay, you're telling me that you can give me all these. This, this could be Jesus' response. You're telling me that if I bow down to you, you're going to give me all the nations of the world. What's your source? Who, who gave you the right to do that? On what basis of authority are you saying this to me? Because here's my basis of authority. God has said. And I would encourage weak or strong, know your father, because your father is unchangeable and true. If he has said it, he will do it. If he has said it, 
it is true. You can stand on that. You can rest on that. And that should be your strongest foundation. There is nothing that precedes truth except God. And truth flows out of nothing but God. And so as we engage, as we do this battle, our foundation where we should be firmly planted is to look back and say, no, God has said. And I'm very comfortable saying that because it's reality. Good in my soapbox there. No, it was good. It was good. I, I mean, I, I think that we have to understand that this is a battle and not lose sight of that daily. Um, daily, we need to make sure we're engaging with the armor of God, with our mind, with our eyes, with our thoughts, being washed and saturated with the truth and not the things of the world. Um, it starts there so that you can have the eyes to see um, the, the schemes, the lies of Satan. Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's becoming more and more clear to me uh, practically every day. And, and I, I don't want to take any more time to say this, so maybe we can talk about this in the future, but as we are looking at very real circumstances in our lives and in the world around us changing and moving and not necessarily in good directions. The battle that we're called to is not one on Facebook or against our heathen neighbor. It's one that's done in the throne room of God, speaking to our father on their behalf, that he would be doing the battle for them through the Holy Spirit and using us as ambassadors, not as assassins, to call them to the king. That they might found salvation rest. Amen, amen. Amen. You wanna- we love you guys. Yep. Thank you guys for joining us. Have a blessed, blessed day. And go and be a blessing. Bye-bye. Amen.